Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Have you ever had a memory, not a memory of your own, but a shared memory with a group of friends or classmates that you would swear was real only to find out that it wasn't? Me too. Apparently, this phenomenon is called the Mandela Effect. I'm going to relate to you my personal Mandela Effect. I was and am a huge reader. I read from early childhood my whole life. When I was a little kid, I loved the Berenstein Bears books. Little bear family, little kids mess around, learn moral lessons. They're fun little things, great for little kids to read. Right? I dug those things. And then, you know, I grow up, I read bigger and things, and now I'm a teacher. So I work with kids and I go, sweet, I can read these books to the kids that are going to love them too. And I go to the library, go, all right, I would like to check out as many Berenstein books as I can. So I jump online, pull up the school library, type in Berenstein, B-E-R-E-N-S-T-E-I-N. Name I remember from going to the Dewey Decimal System almost every week when I was a little kid. And to my surprise, nothing comes up. And I'm like, how can my school not carry these books? And then alternate spelling, Berenstain with an A-I-N. And I'm like, that can't be what I'm looking for. I click on it, and there are the books, just like I remember them, just with a different name. And I go to the library, and there they are, clear as day. I asked the librarian, did they change the name? And she's all, no, that's how they've always been. And I don't know what to do with that. Because then if Berenstain Bears is Berenstain Bears, it may seem insignificant. But it makes me wonder, what else am I misremembering? How do we all remember this? Where does it come from? Where does this mass delusion stem from? Are we all crazy? Did our universe rewrite itself somehow with small little errors that, we're, that only some of us see? It's scary. It makes me question all of my childhood memories. It doesn't. Have you heard the story of and written on the wall? And everyone blood. has the different stories of, oh, this happened to my brother. This happened to my telling you stories of the old. There was this girl. It was back when we were little kids. To find out the truth regarding one of the most enduring tales in American lore. A story behind the story. Because it's just a story. Hello, and welcome to the Just A Story podcast. I'm Jake. And I'm Sam. And we're here to tell you a story. Each week, we take a look at the stories that we tell over and over again, what our fears and fables, myths and misdeeds say about us as humans. I want to welcome all of you back. We've missed you so. We've had quite a little spell ourselves. We have survived our second move since we started the podcast. It's been quite a whirlwind, so we are recovering. Moving is more stressful than like everything else. It's like number six on the stressors list, and I'm just now sighing a little bit of relief. But you, you might be moving this week too. And I want to wish you best of luck if you are. And I want to say that I hope everything goes smoothly. And I hope that your movers don't break your crystal vase. And I hope that all of your flatware stays in the shoebox that you want it to. And that no one accidentally floods your home when they take your 
washing machine. That um, happened a few years yeah, ago. Yeah, that happened. Yeah. But hopefully we've been able to keep you company in this move as many podcasters have helped us. That's true. <laughs> That's true. We are moving professionals at this point. All thanks to podcast. But we do want to remind you that you can reach out to us on social media at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. It's just a story pod where we post stuff about each week's episode and other fun things and a way, great way to reach out to us. And um, you can also check out our website, justastorypod.com, where you will find lots of information on each episode and Sam's wonderful illustrations. Oh, thanks. That is also where you can find links to our Merchy Merch Merch store. And as soon as I, again, recover from this move, I'm going to get a new shirt up in rotation. And if you have any thoughts or ideas about what you'd like to see on a shirt, you can drop us a line at on social media or send us an email. Or you could always call the Urban Legend Hotline. The Urban Legend Hotline is our phone number where you can call and leave us a voicemail about an urban legend or a shirt suggestion or just about your deepest, darkest fears. And we won't tell anybody, we promise. And that phone number is 512-222-3375. And we do have a new patron to thank this week, Miss Elizabeth. Thank you so much. And if you would like to become a patron just like Miss Elizabeth, you can go to patreon.com or go to our website and find links to our patreon there you have access to fun rewards such as extra episodes and stickers and other fun things but you know what sam back to the story at hand okay this is a doozy this one's hard to define and i kind of think that maybe we start by saying what it's not and then we can tell a little bit better what it is so what we're talking about today is a very new thing we are going ultra modern we and don't do that. We Shut do. Up. We jump all over the we place. We love the Victorians in World War II. We can't help ourselves. By we, I mean I. But anyway, continue. So this week we're going to talk about the Mandela effect. And in discussing this effect, we had our own Mandela effect because we both kept calling it the Mandala effect. I swear I read somewhere it was the Mandala effect. Right? Me too. And that's kind of what it is. It's kind of like where you get mansplained to by someone well, actually, the text says blah, blah, blah. And it can be anything. But the reason that it's called the Mandela Effect is because a researcher... A paranormal researcher. ...discovered that many people misremembered the date of Nelson Mandela's death. Right, so Fiona Broom felt that she was just certain, just certain, that she had seen footage and coverage on the news of the late, great Nelson Mandela... And his funeral in the 80s. This, from the outset, strikes me as strange because I very clearly remember Obama taking a selfie at Nelson Mandela's memorial service and it being a thing. Like, that was the big controversy du jour. Like, how dare he? Oh, my God. Or like he was smiling. It was just like, oh, my God, how dare he? He doesn't respect the office. <laughs> I miss I miss the scandals. But anyway, I find it very interesting that she was so certain, so, so certain, that he died in the 80s. Right, in prison. Which, of course, he didn't die in prison because he went on to lead South Africa. Right, there are a number of reasons why this, this won't stand up to the lightest bit of scrutiny. But... She found that when she talked to people and went out on the internet, she found other people that agreed with her. <gasps> Amazing. I thought that this is what the internet was for. It is. It is. Who cares about exchange of ideas? So she was lucky. She went out into the internet and found people who agreed with her. Amazing. 
amazing that you can go out with any false set of facts and find people who will agree with you. But okay, sure, it's paranormal. So that's an example of what the Mandela effect is. So what are some examples of what it is not? So when I first heard of it, I thought it was like commonly misremembered historical facts, kind of like common knowledge that is actually not factual. Yeah, right. Like there's so many. Um, George Washington's teeth. Right. Everyone thinks George Washington had wooden teeth. And in fact, he does not. He had dentures. That's true. But they were made out of hippo ivory or dead people's teeth because that's cool to do if you're George Washington. And they also were made of gold. They had bits of gold. Like- Are you sure it wasn't just for like the really wild parties I after don't. the Constitutional Convention? <laughs> they used to go get wasted. I think they were always wasted. No, but like after? I mean, you'd time. have to. Your brain would hurt. My brain hurts just trying to understand it now. But they were not wooden. That is the crux of this. Like splinters. That's all I'm saying. What are some other examples? Okay, so another one that has a very clear origin is the Vikings in the horned helmets. Wait, what? Yeah, that's not a thing. That's disappointing. I know, because Bugs Bunny has taught me nothing, if not that Vikings wear horned helmets. But it actually was introduced in the ring cycle. Exactly, but that's actually what they are performing in that Looney Tunes. Yes, that I understand. Ride of the Valkyries. Obviously. The other day for me was like, what's that song, you know? It's like, dun 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 dun. <laughs> and you were like, Ride of the Valkyries. Be wrong about that forever. And another one, as long as we're focusing on headgear, and why shouldn't we? Pilgrims did not wear black hats with buckles on them. What they wear? Clothes. like Just like normal hats. Hats and things. But then how would we recognize them at the Thanksgiving dinner? Well, they'd be the white people. Oh, yeah. But you can't really dress up as white people and be adequately offensive. I sure as hell can try. Oh, I have. <laughs> They wore bright, solid colors like reds, greens, yellows, and purples. And the buckles, called capotains, were not worn on their hats, nor their waists, nor their shoes. No buckled shoes either? No, no, no. The image we associate with pilgrims was actually created in the 19th century when buckles became a kind of emblem of quaintness. Next you're going to tell me they weren't bestest of friends of the Indians. Honey, I have some terrible news. Okay, well, you've ruined um, second grade for me. <laughs> okay, well, I ha- I'm about to ruin an entire complex for you. What's that? Napoleon was not short. He was just French? Sort of. He was 5'7", which was average height for a Frenchman at that time and today in Louisiana. <laughs> Very accurate. It was written down like using the English meter instead of the French measurement. A clerical error. It's like a NASA error. <laughs> yes. Yes, basically. So he wasn't short, so Napoleonic complex may be a bit of a stretch. Little man syndrome, though, might be a real thing. Little hand syndrome definitely might. Aww. Aww. And then there are things that really do kind of get into the territory of the, what? So one of the examples I found online and really threw me off was like, Van Gogh didn't cut his whole ear off. That's nonsense. Here are the historical documents. We just had this argument. Yeah. And I saw the documents, but they had documents too. So that might be like some, something more. There might be more to that story than just misinformation. Yeah. That's almost like an interpretation or like misrecording at the time. And then some people say that he lost his ear in a fight with Gauguin, 
which I think just makes it cool. That sounds epic. I know. It just makes it cool. And that's fun to say that Gauguin cut his ear off. It's very Evander Holyfield, Mike Tyson. But that one, it's like, it's so hard to to know one way or another. You can look at doctors' records from the time, and they definitely say that there was an entire ear gone. But, so but like, I mean, we had this, like, what does that mean? What right? does that mean the ear I mean, is gone? Fine. But, like, that's, a, that's one that people try to point to. And then Mrs. O'Leary's cow did not start the Chicago fire. That's just nonsense. That poor cow. Just got a bad rap and was turned into hamburgers for no good reason, but they were tasty. Were they grilled over an open flame? Of course they were. Of course they were. Marco Polo did not introduce pasta to Italy, which was in my amazing book of facts that I adored when I was a child. And I'm angry now because it was inaccurate. Columbus did not prove that the earth was round. That was not what he did. He also did not. Right. He didn't even get there. (laughs) And he also did not discover America. It was already discovered. Thus the name (laughs) America as in Amerigo as in Amerigo Vespucci. Anyway. Anyway. And then Marie Antoinette did not say let them eat cake. She was nine at the time that the phrase was recorded. Maybe she did say it. She's like, I want cake. Let them eat cake. Everyone should have cake. Very different, though. Very different sentiment. And then Einstein did not fail math. People want to say that. They're like, oh, you don't have to do well in school until you're older. Einstein failed math a hundred times. And I'm like, that's that's just nonsense. It's just to make people feel better about themselves. But you don't just, you don't, but it's slander (laughs) or libel. Also, every misattributed quote on the internet, you know, the cute little images you see with the quotes beside them in black and white, those are all wrong. With Einstein sticking his tongue out. Yeah. That's real. (laughs) That's a real photo. That's true. And Johnny Cash really is flipping off the cameras, and that's true, too. I don't think anyone questioned that. In addition to all of the historical, like, well, actually, that there exist in the world, there are also the science anti-factoids. Ooh, fun. Like dogs sweating through their tongues. It's just like a misinterpretation. It's a well, actually. Well, actually, they're not sweating, but they are releasing heat. Exactly. I just feel like this is just rife mansplaining territory. Mother birds do not reject their babies if you have to put them back in the nest. Yes, you're supposed to just put them back or leave them alone. (laughs) Waking sleepwalkers does not harm them. I get asked that like every day. (laughs) And goldfish actually have pretty good memories. In comparison to what? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) So those are examples of what the Mandela effect is not. Yes. So what is it? There's no clear answer, really. But the best way to go about it, I think, is just to look at the examples. And they seem to have to do mainly with advertising. (laughs) Honestly, a lot of products that were marketed to you when you were a kid. Right, because it always has to do with a memory. Mm -hmm. I remember this. I remember that. This is a, no, 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 my memory is right. Yours is wrong. So one of the most classic of examples is the Bernstein Bears. I never liked them. I thought it was weird that the kids were named brother and sister, and I would not watch it or read it. I had no interest. And the mom's hat was stupid. (laughs) So it is correctly pronounced Bernstein Bears, as in like a stain on a t-shirt. Were they like created by... Tide Detergent Company? No, they were created by the Bernsteins. <laughs> oh, oh. So that was their last name. Yeah. And everyone will tell you that it is Bernstein. Like Bernstein. Einstein. Yeah. Oh, I, just thought, I thought it was Steen. Whatever. 
They just say it's that. That's how you spell it. And it's pronounced in that way. Even earlier, I said Bernstein. <laughs> Berenstein. I thought it was Berenstein. But according to the author's son, it has always been pronounced stain. Berenstein. So a lot of times with these, when you see them online, they will come with images. And that's proof. And so you'll see some clips of old newspaper like ads. And it is actually spelled Bernstein. But that's just a typo. <laughs> that's just people saying no, no, no. That's not a real last name. Right. Well, and that is part of it. You know, is that Stein is a much more common part of a last name than Stein. Even now, when you're saying Stein, I'm like, it's Steen. Like, <laughs> I'm like, no, no, no. You don't remember correctly. It's definitely Berenstein. You didn't even read it. No, but I was forced to watch it in library. And there are many, many more examples like this. So how do you spell Looney Tunes? Do you want me to answer correctly? Okay, smarty pants. Well, actually... Well, actually, it's a takeoff of Silly Symphony, so it's Looney Tunes as in music, so T-U-N-E. Right, but online, and you'll see that it is supposed to be tunes, like cartoons, T-O-O-N-S, and they were all misremembering it. So, is that a massive conspiracy? Because I know there was some some worries about anti-Semitism and the change in the Berenstein Bears name. Definitely a conspiracy. It's all a conspiracy. So Looney Tunes, Looney Tunes. Oh, one I had recently was Chick-fil-A. You always misspell Chick-fil-A. Yeah, I thought it ended with a C. Chick ended with a C, but it's actually the K. No, it's not. Wait, what? It ends with just a C, and people say it ends with a CK, because it's Chick-fil-A, which is stupid. <laughs> um, no, I need to make sure. Okay, I'm having a moment. Like, I swear to God, there is no K on this word. Like, I, 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 I'm having this moment. Like, I have, like, corrected people on this. Of course you have. Oh, my God. No, it's really there. It's really got a K. Like, I'm on their official website. Sam just website. Googled it. She didn't believe I did me. not believe you. No. Oh, my God. And wait. Further information that we need to share with our listeners? Even their website closes on Sunday. Seriously? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's commitment. And other common ones are things like phrases in movies. Oh, you know one? You know one is the mirror, mirror on the wall in Snow White, right? Yeah, it's the classic phrase. But it's not. What do you mean? It's magic mirror on the wall. No. Yeah. You're ruining second grade. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's basically what the Mandela effect does. It ruins second grade. It mansplains away your second grade consciousness. Damn it. Okay. But that one, I don't think there's a, a ton of weight to it. But some of the phrases I think are interesting. Like, Luke, I am your father. Right. It's actually, no, I am your father. (gasps) Thanks. Which is still a good line. Right. But it could be, no, I'm your father. Go clean up your room. You know, it could be, it could be, it's anonymous. It's innocuous. It's not iconic on its own. Taken out of that context, that moment. Right. The Luke, I am your father kind of summarizes the plot. Yeah, that's the twist. The twist is, he is Luke's father. That's the twist. Oh, sorry. Sorry if we're spoiling anything. Spoilers. Sorry. Sorry. But that is the weight of it. That's what you need to know. And that's why when you remember, you remember he is Luke's father. And that's crazy. And then in one of your favorite movies. One of my favorites. Another James Earl Jones (laughs) movie, actually. Field of Dreams. Right. Ray Liotta. 
Kevin Costner. Dreamy, dreamy. We're not ruining my second grade. The line that most people remember is, if you build it, they will come. And if you haven't seen the movie, for some reason, first, just go watch it. Stop it. Stop it. Go watch it. It's really good. It's so cheesy. It's so good. It's classic. But in it, you have the former, and he's told to build a baseball field on this cornfield. Right. He plows into his corn, destroys his crops, and creates a baseball diamond. And this allows the Shoeless Joe Jackson character and the rest of the baseball team to appear out of the corn, out of time. Years later, they're all dead. To practice and play. And so people think that the phrase means the dead baseball players will come. Right. But the line is actually, if you build it, he will come. And the he is Kevin Costner's father. Because that's the person who matters. That's the connection he needs to make. And he needs to understand the larger context in order to understand the man and forgive him and move forward with his life. So in that way, the Turner phrase is misremembered and it is less impactful. Yeah, yeah. But I do have to say the whole team walking out of the corn is kind of the highlight. Oh, it's so cool. I don't know if cool is the right word. (laughs) Charming. Kick ass. Old-timey baseball in a cornfield. You know what? That's the best thing that ever happened in Iowa that didn't happen in Iowa. So there's so, so many examples of the Mandela effect. Oh, one of my favorites, before we move on, is that people remember that there's a portrait of King Henry VIII holding a turkey leg. Which fits. (laughs) It's true. And if you've ever been to, like, a Renaissance fair or anything of that nature, there are. They take the image and they put a turkey leg in his hand. You're not that crazy. But in the actual portrait, it's not a turkey leg. It's a brown thing that kind of looks like a turkey leg. Thanks. Okay, so finding a bunch of people who will say, no, 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 it's totally not that. Like, as in how I would just, like, freaked out over the K at the end of Chick-fil-A. Like, really upset me. Yet feels weird to be wrong. Is that just it? Is it just like, wow, that feels really weird to be wrong? I'm sure that's a part of it. (laughs) So this is not just characterizing the phenomena of like, oh, I thought it was right. Um, But maybe there's more to it because there's this shared misconception, right? Like it's this this larger phenomenon because it's not just one person who's wrong. It's lots of people who choose to be wrong together. Right. So Miss Fiona Broom, our paranormal researcher who coined this term. Now, she initially felt that these were shared memories. Like a Jungian thing? Like a collective subconscious thing kind of okay but that all these people have these shared memories without any proof of these tiny little changes because someone's manipulating our reality we're living in a parallel universe how do we get there well does she think she knows yes oh, okay i was kidding so it has been postulated that a quantum ripple created by cern's large hedron collider Created an alternate reality. Uh-huh. And some of us have moved between the realities, hence remembering things that have been written out of our current timeline. That is so stupid. Okay, so I have a news article for you. CERN researchers apologize for destruction of five parallel universes in recent experiment. Jacob. Quote, we are sorry to report that in conducting research involving high-powered proton proton collisions, we inadvertently caused the implosion of five universes nearly identical to our own. Okay, this sounds like the onion. Director General Fabiola Giannotti. It sounds like the onion. Adding that billions of people worldwide might have experienced momentary vertigo around 9.45 a.m. as a result of several of their alternative identities being wiped from existence. 
I'd like to emphasize that there is no need to worry, as we were able to contain the damage before our own time stream disintegrated into oblivion like the others. This sounds like the onion. You're right. It's the onion. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, well, okay, fine. Okay, got another news story. There's a theory going around online that CERN, the European Organization for Nuclear Research Experiments, have caused the world to shift into an alternate reality where Donald Trump has become president. There is cite the Mandela effect as evidence, since most of the events have occurred in the past year. Again, it sounds like The Onion. Uh, That's from CNBC. (laughs) Some people think Donald (laughs) Trump is John Titor, so... Could be. That was a great YouTube rabbit hole we went down one day. (laughs) If this is like an accident and there's a universe where this is all not happening i feel very very upset and shortchanged and i'd like my money back so you find a wormhole or a professor with a plan the group of scrappy tech savvy early 90s teenagers call it time hackers nine snails does the score oh it'd be brilliant okay so parallel universes that's that's with the k on the end of the chick in Chick-fil-A tells us clearly yeah, I mean, parallel. There's not a leap there. We're just merely examining the evidence and drawing the most logical, rational conclusion. Right? That's what they say. That's insane. So it is crazy to think of the idea of parallel universes. So to put in context, let's go back a few hundred years. We have Kepler. We have Copernicus. They're coming up with these ideas of what the universe might actually be like. And then, in the 1600s, you have an Italian-Dominican friar, philosopher, mathematician, Giordano Bruno. Oh, he sounds like a rebel. So he took the ideas of the Copernican model. Which is what? Kind of what we have now. That the the Earth is not in the center of the universe. Ah, yes. That whole thing. So the sun being in the center of the universe. Yeah, kind of at that time. (laughs) Yeah. So he proposed, and this is crazy, that those stars look up. See the stars? I do. That they're actually just distant suns. Shut up. Burn them. Surrounded by their own exoplanets. Okay, this guy's a heretic. They might even foster life of their own. A liar. So he calls philosophical position cosmic pluralism. He has an ism. I'm seeing nothing good coming from him. Nothing but trouble this one. Right. Burn him. Burn yeah. him. Well, he even thought the universe was infinite. What? Fry him. Fry the fryer. Fry so, him. So, with all of these crazy crazy ideas no way these could be real in 1593 he was arrested clearly his trial began for heresy by the roman inquisition it could have gone no other way so his charges included denial of several core catholic doctrines including eternal damnation trinity the divinity of christ virginity of mary and transubstantiation okay he was a pantheist and this was a matter of grave concern and he was a friar he really kind of like said he was going to believe in all this well, stuff. Well, no, like every, at this time, remember, like if you wanted to have an education and you weren't rich, uh, you were a monk, friar, priest, etc. Fine, fine, fine. Okay, so he is a heretical friar. He does not believe in any of the things he is supposed to believe in and has an ism. Burn him. Yes. Burn him. So seven years later. Seven years. What did they do with him for seven years? Oh, torture, jail, etc. Okay, fine. On Ash Wednesday, 1600. Ooh, so the they're going to have a party because they Fiore in on Ash Wednesday. With his, quote, tongue imprisoned because of his wicked words. How was his tongue imprisoned? He was hung upside down naked before he was finally burned at the stake. The tongue imprisonment and the hanging him upside down naked seem like 
artistic flair that Oh, you want some artistic flair? It's Ash Wednesday. His ashes were thrown into the Tiber. Like, they just had too much fun with executions. They really did. Well, I mean, they did them too often. So, a, but... Well, yes, that's true. But All B, of these inquisitions. They just got a little fancy with it. And so, of course, he was burned as a heretic. All of his works were placed on the Index Laborum Prohibitorium. I feel like that's what we should have called our show. That would have been fantastic. Could have called it the Ilp. No, no one would have got it. But, you know, as science started to progress in the 19th century and 20th century, he became a martyr for science. Oh, my, how the tables have turned. Wait, I do want to say this. I just want to say that if Martha Stewart were around back in these days, she would have had the most amazing magazines with ideas for executions. Like, doesn't that feel like that is something she would have taken on? No, No, she would have been like, you could flay them. Terrible. You're terrible. It's true. But now you're thinking about it and you're seeing all the possibilities. Or think about her working on her zine about that. Yeah. In prison. (laughs) But, you know, one scientist wrote, I would bet that at the turn of the 22nd century, philosophers and physicists will look nostalgically at the present and recall a golden age in which the narrow provincial 20th century concept of the universe gave way to a bigger, better multiverse of mind-boggling proportions. Oh my god, like comics. Yeah, like comics. Okay, I'm... Like sliders. You tried to make me watch that. You're like, this is great. We watched two episodes and you're like, okay, fine. It was great when I was like in fifth grade. No, but the thing is, we were riding off the success of Quantum Leap. Still great. It's still great. Okay, but here's the thing. Multiverse. What I know from comics... Yes. ...is that there are infinite realities, and some of them end up looking a lot like ours with minor changes, and that the ultimate universe is where things can be more adult. True. And the Bizarro universe is where everything is the opposite. Yes. And that in Star Trek, the Parallel Universe episode saw beards on our favorite characters. Not Uhura, but the others. Oh, missed opportunity. (laughs) Yes. And that makes them evil. Right. So that's what I know. And now you know too. Thank you. So, do you want to know about it? Do you want to know about Parallel Universes? I know that Miles Morales is in a Parallel Universe. So... Let's talk about if parallel universes can even exist. And we'll just spend a tiny bit of time on this because we're not going to talk for hours on it. So there's your, this your bones. Bones of the idea. Okay. I have a feeling I'm still going to end up angry at the end of this conversation. So how did the universe start? Boom. Bang. Oh. Don't correct me. <laughs> did I you was... read that it was boom somewhere? Yeah, I did. Several places. I clearly remember the big boom theory. Right. Maybe in your universe. Big... It's better here. <laughs> I'm sure it is. Go play with the bunnies. They talk and they're blue. So big bang. Boom. So big bang happened Boom. 13.8 billion years ago. Okay. And so you've also heard the idea that the universe is expanding, right? Woody Allen has fretted about this in Annie Hall and I share his concerns. Yes, the universe is expanding. So whenever the universe began, it was expanding created this massive amount of energy explosion where universe comes from Mm -hmm. so we are in an ever-expanding universe the problem is we can only see with our big powerful telescopes as far away as light has traveled okay so we have to have light to see something right in theory 
What do you mean in theory? Things with our mind's eye. You can. Go play with the bunnies. <laughs> but so we can only see as far away as light has had time to travel since light has existed from the Big Bang. Okay. And so we don't know what is beyond that spot. And that is called the Hubble radius. Because of because of telescope? Well, the guy that... The guy. And Yeah, it's named after. And of uh, course, we use the Hubble telescope to see that far. That's how we have this amazing images like the, of like the nebulas and things like that that you see in National Geographic. I do see them in National Geographic. They're lovely. So most likely, there is something beyond that radius. Okay, now you're going to tell me that you do not sail off the edge of the world when you go past a certain point. You don't just fall off. That's when you get to see the turtles. The all turtles. The way down. <laughs> so that's the first step in this, is that the universe is infinite. Okay, so I can see the merits of this idea because because of the thing about sailing off the edge of the world. It's like, okay, so it's smarter to assume that there's something out there that it makes sense of itself. That you don't just hit a barrier. Yeah, that you don't just drive up to the edge of the universe. That there is, there's something beyond it. Right. Maybe it's a f- sphere. Whatever. Never know. No, <laughs> you never know. It's kind of the point. <sighs> so the next level, and when we get to more of a multiverse idea of what we think of it, is our pocket universes. Pocket universes. So with this, you have... They the, sound adorable. They are can be. Okay. <laughs> they cannot be. So you have this inflation that is eternally going on. And this is still continuing, uh-huh. in theory, in the remote parts of the universe. And you have these new regions that are forming, just like ours did, billions of years ago. Okay. So class in planets. Not planets. Whole universes. Okay. So it's a pocket universe, a bubble that spreads out from our own into the infinite unknown. Oh, my God. Okay. I'm trying to conceptualize it, and I think I have too much history and meaningless trivia in here to adequately conceptualize this. So, can I ask a really stupid question? Sure. The Milky Way is is not our universe. It's our galaxy. Correct. So, within our universe, we know that there are other galaxies. Correct. And that's fine. They just exist in our universe. We don't have to worry about them popping up in our expansion. Like, that, the universe's expansion is not affecting the other galaxies. Right. I mean, other galaxies can be forming. Sure. But that's not what this phenomena centers on. No, this is a completely new universe. And so here's what makes it different. What makes it a new universe. Okay. You have to look at something called string theory. Uh Uh-uh. No. Stop it. So this is kind of a, a fundamental theory of nature. It can be considered... What Einstein was always looking for, the theory of everything. I thought that was Stephen Hawking. He continued. Neither of them found it? Well, they think this might be it. Okay. So the guy that actually kind of came up with it is Michio Kaku. Okay. And he felt that the essential building blocks of all matter, as well as all of the physical forces in the universe, Mm -hmm. think gravity, exist on a sub-quantum level. So smaller than subatomic. Yes. Okay. And that everything is made of something called a quark. Okay, I want that to be true. It's a fantastic name. Mm-hmm. High five. So these quantum particles are like rubber bands. And if you vibrate them in the right way, they turn into something. Any kind of subatomic particle in the universe. Okay. So they have the potential to be anything. Yes. So those are like those are like cells. There's cells like that in your body. When you're being... Stem cells. Yeah, stem cells. Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, they're kind of like stem cells. Yeah, no, that's actually a really good example. Yeah, because stem cells can become anything depending on how you stimulate them. Right. So these are the stem cells of 
everything. Smaller than, okay, okay. <laughs> not trying to blow your mind. You are. I don't like thinking about this because I can't master it. Like, I cannot fully internalize this under, this knowledge. Well, I love that because even the guy that invented it said, it either explains everything. I love that it explains everything. Or it that explains ma- it, nothing. Okay, that's the problem. It's a yeah. tautological yeah. statement. Oh, God. <laughs> so, the thing about this is it also is not only matter. It's also your forces, gravity, things like that. Things that make the world work the way it is. Things that hold the world together. Yeah. So in another universe, these properties can be different. Ah, okay. Yes, it makes sense. But no, I don't like thinking about it. So even the basics of physics can be changed. Oh my God. They've never played with that on Star Trek, have they? I don't know. There have to be beards. Definitely. I mean, Quark is in Deep Space Nine. <laughs> yes, that's true. I knew I'd heard it somewhere before. So that guy's everything? Yes. Oh my God, I don't like if it. If you vibrate him enough, they become a Ferengi. So really, you should stop before you get to that point. <laughs> so with looking at all of this, you can now get an idea of a multiverse. You have an unlimited number of bubbles of all possible types that are formed in the course of eternal inflation, and they can be anything. I liked when there were nine planets. Like, I liked the that. There's not even nine planets I know, anymore. they've changed everything. No, 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 I clearly remember Pluto is a planet. No, no. Uh, so. Like, my brain just can't wrap itself around that, something of that magnitude. But I understand the base structure of the idea, if that makes sense. But I yeah. can't get my head around what that actually means. Well, no one really knows exactly what it means. Well, that's very reassuring. Now I feel less stupid. They just have really good ideas. You know, theories. They're theories. I want to make up theories for a living. How do I get to do that? Do I have to do math? Yes. While I see the potential for sci-fi storytelling and definitely comics, this is not beards and this is not the opposite. This is like maybe gravity is even different. Right. So we can get to another level, another level of the multiverse, another theory. And this is where it does become more like sliders and Star Trek and comic books. And that's when you throw quantum physics into the mix Uh Uh-huh. It wasn't here before? Not yet. Oh, God. And you get the mini worlds theory. Do we leap? I'll let you come up with that theory. Theorizing. (laughs) Theorizing that she could travel within her own lifetime. Samantha. Beckett. Stepped into the quantum leap accelerator and vanished. I would vanish with Scott Bakula, right? (laughs) You about did the other day when we saw him at the restaurant. I about did. That man is so pretty. So in this idea, laws of physics can be the same. But the universes are not necessarily separated by distance, but by time. Ugh. Okay. So all possible futures are allowed. This is, you said this was going to be more science. This sounds like more not science. This sounds more imaginary. It sounds more philosophical. It sounds like, what does it all mean? Like, it does not sound like, it doesn't sound like they use numbers. Astrophysics is where science meets philosophy. So just basically someone I don't want to hang out with. I mean, you'd hang out with Neil deGrasse Tyson. I would. He would correct me every five seconds. It's true. But I'd love him for it. So one of the tenets of kind of quantum physics, quantum systems, is that when you look at a little subatomic particle, tiny particle, you see see it? it? You see it? It can exist between states in a superposition. So the best way to think of that is how something can be either a wave or a particle. Hey, can I ask another stupid question? Sure. I'm on a roll. Is it like potential energy? No, it's like light. Light is the best, easiest way to understand it. Light can be a photon, like a like a particle. 
Or okay. you have a wave of light, right? But it's it's not both? It is. <sighs> I'm sorry. So it is. So it's in this super positional state. So it's, it is between two. And it is not. This is where you hit that philosophy part. Oh. It is not one or the other until you measure it. Oh, well, that is just the most egocentric, self-serving aggrandizement of self I've ever heard. Like, how is that allowed? That's not real. That's not real. That is so narcissistic, megalomaniac bullshit. That's not fair. But it's true. No, it's not. That's just what you know. That's just what you know. But aren't you basing your opinion on what you know? No, I'm not. That's just true. But here's... <laughs> What's that? Really? Really? You know, like it is or it isn't. It's But even... it is two things. That's science. Okay, that is no, science. It can be fact. two things, but then it's still two things. And you knowing which thing it is does not change the fact that it's two things. Does it? Yes. No! <laughs> so, okay. The best way to explain this is another meme-worthy scientific theory. Oh, God Christ almighty. If you tell me that there's a freaking kitty cat in it, I'm going to throw something at your face. So Schrodinger's cat. Are you shut? Like, shut up. Like, he didn't even know. When was this? When did he do this? The 50s. Yeah, he didn't even know that cats in the internet were going to be a huge thing. And he was like, I need to make myself likable. I'm going to put cats in it. Well, no, so I mean, he was trying to kind of interpret Hugh Everett, who came up with the idea of the many worlds theories, theory. (laughs) Maybe it's theories. Maybe it's different in different worlds. I think you were right the first time. Into like a large scale system so people could understand it a little better. So he's going to make this easy to comprehend. Yeah. Is this like a scientist making a metaphor that's really stupid? Because I have a feeling it's going to be a scientist making a metaphor, which is generally pretty stupid. Okay, continue. So here's the ridiculous story. Take a cat. What is the cat's name? Schrodinger. No, it's not. No, because we're back to the megalomaniac, narcissistic, self-aggrandizing. Exactly. Schrodinger. The cat's name is definitely Schrodinger. Maybe Schrody. Schrod. No. Dinger. Yes. Okay. So Schrody is put in a box. You got a cat in a box. Yes. Okay. One. You cut a hole in a box. No. <laughs> you put the cat in the box. So you put the cat in there, and you put a Geiger counter and a tiny bit of radioactive substance, very, 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 very tiny, in the box with the cat. Now the Geiger counter is going to measure if that radioactive substance decays. Uh-huh. Now, there's equal probability that it will decay, and it will not decay. Uh-huh. What, just based on, like, what it is? Yeah, it's just, yeah. If it decays, Geiger counter goes off, and this Rube Goldberg system that we have set up will break a bottle of hydrocyanic acid. Cyanide? Basically. Okay, so, literally, this is a tortured metaphor. It is a tortured literally. cat in a box. Yeah, yes. it's a tortured cat metaphor. Okay, so, if the radioactive substance decays, the Geiger counter goes off, and the there's... What? How does the cyanide get out? There's a little hammer. Are you serious? It's a Rube Goldberg system. Okay, I'm sorry. I missed that. Yeah, okay. So a little hammer breaks in case of emergency. The cyanide, the cat ingests the cyanide, and it dies. If yes. If, if this material decays. And if it doesn't. Nothing happens. Nothing happens. And the cat dies of natural causes. Yeah, but we're not, this is not looking into the future. This is like within an hour time span. Okay. You don't know. If the cat is dead, 
until you open the box. That's bullshit. Because you'd hear the Geiger counter go. <laughs> no, no, no. It's and a closed system. Cyanide, Tight box. Cyanide Tight smells box. like almonds. It's sealed. So if you sealed, but you could smell it. Sealed. But you would know. You hear the cat's Ow. death cries. It's sealed. You'd see it shaking violently. The whole box with the cat going, no. The internet will hate you for this. No one ever postulates that idea that cats like to knock over glasses. Yeah, I know. Like, what if that just Maybe that ruins the, the entire would be metaphor? Before you put it in the box, because that'd this be too is, nice. It's true. I mean, we could, so we could talk about this for a million years. But the idea is that you don't know if the cat is alive or dead until you open the box. So it exists in a state of both life and death because we don't know until we open it. The fucking cat knows. The cat knows. Your perception. It's a metaphor. It's a stupid metaphor. The box is a metaphor, Sam. <laughs> I will just go out on a limb here and say that that was not a satisfying answer on Lost, and it's not a satisfying answer now. The cat knows. Okay, so Max Tegmark came up with another idea. Oh my God, is this going to be another scientist makes a metaphor moment? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can we stop? <laughs> You're right. So since you are not the cat, the cat knows if it's alive or dead. And therefore, reality has happened. So he decided to come up with a plan called the quantum suicide. This is the opposite of quantum leap, but it sounds terrible. It is. So, yes. in this, you involve the observer in the system. The man, you, let's say you. Yeah, you. let's say you, because women might want to participate as well. Yeah, I want, I want to make this equal. So I'm going to have you sitting there with a gun. And Is Christopher Walken there? What about Robert De Niro? Maybe. This might be like Deer Hunter. Okay. You have a gun, and it is hooked up to a system to measure something like an electron, and it will either spin right or left. The electron. Yeah. Okay. And so if it spins right, the gun will work. And what do you do with it? You kill yourself. Why? I don't want to kill myself. It's a metaphor. I don't even have a license for this handgun. And if it spins the other way, then it does not work. You will infinitely be pulling the trigger, not able to kill yourself. So how do you, what do you not know in this scenario? Like, how, I thought the thing was that you had to know if the cat was alive or dead. Like, what do you... And so this way, you are the observer. You will be dead or not. So on some occasions, you die. and some, you do not. Depending... Each time the man pulls the trigger, the universe is split. You're saying the man again. Each time you pull the trigger, sorry, <laughs> the universe is split. Why would it do that? Because every single thing makes the universe split. This movie was terrible, and I've never forgiven Ashton Kutcher for it. This is a butterfly effect thing? It kind of is, yeah. Okay. So, speaking of math part of this, uh. each universe splits into something like 10 to the 100th copies every second. Copies now? Well, you know, universes. But are they copies? Samantha, that was a different question. But it seems so important and interesting. <laughs> This is about the universe splitting more than truth observer kind of stuff. Right. That's just how we can interpret the idea. <laughs> I'm going to lie now. No, so Got no, no, it. Listen, the idea is like the monkey on the typewriter. Yes. This all seems very much like, <laughs> like it was written by monkeys on typewriters. It seems a good deal like word salad. You're right. I agree. I agree. But you know what I mean. Yes. If there were a monkey, how many thousand a million monkeys typewriters for an hour one of them would write shakespeare eventually it's a good story good phrase very ev visually evocative i enjoy it i used to think about it when i did editing work god this makes me want to be a creationist <laughs> uh. 
I object to this this entire system of thought because it just seems so so egocentric. Like a bunch of people who think they're so important and that everything they do and think and every atom that they brush by in their day creates new universes and like we're splitting we're literally splitting universes with every single tick of our finger it just seems it's not just us that you're interpreting in an egocentric manner it is well they told me to be you it's how light moves that's just how to understand it okay it's every way the light moves (sighs) it's worse (laughs) okay we can't talk about this forever but that is the theory behind parallel universes okay. is that every little change we make, every little thing that happens can split off and create an infinite number of parallel universes. So the creation of parallel universes is much like the classic police song. Roxanne? No, 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 no. Maybe, but no. <laughs> like every breath you take, every move you make, every... But it is like, I'll be creating new universes at the end, not I'll be watching you. Yes. I never liked that song. <laughs> we did not dance to it at our wedding. No, we did not. It's about stalkers. I think it's about stalkers. It's creepy. But so this is such an interesting idea. And I mean, just like, it's kind of mind blowing. Uh, but it's great because you can just see the potential for storytelling that comes with the idea that there can be another universe that is right next door that has another you that made some different life choices or that your escape pod from Krypton landed in Russia and you became an evil Superman or that you decided to grow a goatee and be evil. Which I'm still working on. Let's be honest. Not the evil part. You got that. Right. But I feel like a goatee would really set it off. I Uh. agree. (laughs) Okay. So sure. Fine. Parallel universes. Whatever. I get it up into the point that we start describing cats and suicides. I get it. I'm with you. Sort of. Mostly. But, like, still, like, the idea that that something happens and we all just, like, whoopsie-daisy, I'm in an alternate universe, I'm in a parallel universe, like, the idea that we, like, bump into each other, that seems crazy. Like, it seems beyond... That is far beyond science. That is just fun, fun, fictional Star Trek comic book, etc. Ah, yes. Stories. Stories, you say. Yeah, yeah. I've got this. What do you mean? I've got those. I've got those. You mean like real stories? Yes. <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure they are. So this first was the story of Miriam Golding. And this happened to Miriam in Chicago in 1934. She was in Chicago visiting her fiance. And she was taking an elevator, which was very crowded, when she made a mistake and accidentally got off the elevator on the wrong floor. Okay. And it was so crowded, in fact, that she found she couldn't push her way back into the elevator. Like, it was just no way. So she resigned herself to waiting for the next elevator. But she looked around and started to realize that she was not in the store where she'd started her elevator journey. That's weird. She'd gone to an entirely different place. And she was now in a rather large, rather expansive train station. Whoopsie doopsie. Well, that's hard to misinterpret. And there was a bunch of activity going on in this train station. And she was like very sure that she was not in like another level of the store because the music was very different as well. And so she went to the information desk and asked where she was. But the woman who was working at the information desk was Rudy Pants. And she just ignored her. It's not nice. It was not. 
So she just followed the signs that were conveniently located in the train station all the way to the outside of the train station. Now, here's where it gets really weird, I guess. It was Chicago. This is where it's weird. Yeah, it was Chicago where she had started. And when she went outside, it was very warm and summery. And it had previously been fall in Chicago, which is notoriously not warm, nor summery. And she wandered around the streets. And other people that she tried to speak to and talk to and ask questions of just ignored her also. But then she saw this young boy. And he looked confused, just like she did. And he was also being ignored by crowds. And she walks up to him and she says to this young boy, I guess they let you off at the wrong stop, too. And he seemed relieved that she'd noticed him and claimed that he'd been playing tennis in Lincoln, Nebraska and had gone to a locker room to change his shoes. And when he'd gone back to the courts to play some more, he'd found that the tennis courts, which had been there moments before, were gone. And in the place was this huge train terminal, which turned out to be the exact same station that she had entered through the elevator. That's weird. Right? Interdimensional train station. Apparently. I thought maybe they were dead when I first read this. But anyway. At this point, they walked together to the water, and they saw some women who were sitting on a sandbar in the water. And one of the women, she recognized as her fiancé's sister. Now, the women out on the sandbar seemed to notice them and begin waving and shouting to Miriam and her companion. This encouraged the boy to try to make the swim out to the sandbar, which did not seem very far at all. And he was confident that he could reach it. Despite the fact that he was a good swimmer, it seemed that no matter how much he tried and pushed against the waves, he was unable to draw any closer to the mysterious sandbar, and he returned to the shore in frustration. It was then that the sandbar vanished. Really? So after a while, she closed her eyes and felt like she was floating through space, and she woke up on a stool in the music store where she'd started. So she was daydreaming? No. No. Wait, there's more. She looked for her fiancé, and she couldn't find him anywhere, so she just went over to his house. And when she arrived, he was very relieved that she was there. And he explained that he'd lost her in the store, and he'd waited for her to come to the right floor for a few hours before deciding to go back home. But the strangest thing was that her fiancé's sister was also there, the woman she'd seen on the sandbar. And she claimed that she'd seen Miriam in town and even called out to her but that she'd been too absorbed talking to a young boy that was with her to even notice. <gasps> bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum, bum. That's a crazy story. I mean, was that like reported in the papers? How yeah, did we know to know this? Paper. Yeah? It was on paper. It was written on paper. It was in Fate Magazine. Oh. In September of 1956. And Fate Magazine specialized in publications of firsthand accounts of unexplained events. Yeah, it was one of their popular columns. These stories were submitted by the people who had experienced them, and they had to sign a notarized affidavit. Like saying it was real? Yes, saying that the stories happened exactly as they described them. So no one's ever faked that before. Never. So most likely. This is a beautiful, interesting... Short story. Yes. But good on you, Miriam. Good on you. But that is one of the famous parallel universe traveling stories you'll read about as you as you google parallel universe traveling no i really like the story like in all honesty i I find that it has ups and downs and twists and turns and like it's a fun little jaunt like i would have my eighth graders read it or whatever very well written 
Okay, well, I've got another one for you. Okay. Is this one well written? It could be. <laughs> it, it is. It is. It's so, this is one that happens near my hometown in Louisiana. So, this is another kind of famous either parallel universe or time travel story, depending on how you want to interpret it. Or who you ask. So, this is in Abbeville, deep in the heart of Cajun country in South Louisiana. Well, it's not in a main city, so you know it has to be real. And so, a man named Elsie told this story to the writer, Ken Moe, and it was published in Strange Magazine in 1988. Sounds legit. So, Elsie was driving with a friend from Abbeville towards Lafayette on Highway 167 on October 20th of 1969. Uh Uh-huh. So, as they were driving, they spotted this antique car that was in perfect condition, showroom condition. Funny story. Yes. So I was driving down from my mom's to our new place, like taking the back roads. And it's like a three-hour drive. I mean, it is a, a pig trail of a drive. And you're driving out like through St. Francisville and like very antebellum, trees with moss, all that. All the things you imagine. And I kept seeing these pristine cars from bygone heirs. Did you go to a parallel universe? I thought I did. I was like, this is bizarre. Like, it, these look like movie props. What is going on? Maybe they're filming something, whatever. I finally get to Point Coupe, and there is a sign up for the VFW car show. So, you know, in this story, they thought that. They thought, well, this is just an antique car. Someone's refurbished, nice, taking it out on drive. And as they pull up to it, they kind of slow down to check it out. As you do, yeah, yeah. And they noticed that it had an old license plate, which cool. was odd. Very authentic. And it was a 1940s bright orange Louisiana license plate. I did not know that Louisiana had bright orange license plate. You know, I 19- meant to look that up. Yeah. <laughs> and so the car was moving slowly. And as they went to pass it, they noticed that the driver was a woman. And she was also in this kind of vintage 1940s style clothing. Quote, wearing a hat complete with, with a long colored feather and a fur coat. And she also had a child in the car with her. Sitting in the front seat because that's how you know it's yeah. all time. Seriously? Well, cool. In the 69, they would do it. Yeah, sure. Okay, fine. As they pull up next to the car, their study turned to alarm as their attention was riveted to the animated expressions of fear and panic on the woman's face. Driving alongside of her at a near crawl, they could see her frantically looking back and forth as if lost or in need of help. She appeared on the verge of tears. So like Janet Lee and Psycho? I guess. So they called out to her and kind of motioned for her to pull over, that they'd help her. Did and they do the like roll the window down? Signal? And she didn't do it. She wouldn't do it. So she pulls over to the side of the road and they go to pull over in front of her just to be safe. They pull over, get out, and as they turn... Wait, she disappears. There's no car. Oh my God, what happened? This does not sound like your average VFW car show participant. Right. There he says, it and its occupants had simply vanished. Mm. So another driver that was driving behind them also saw the incident and pulled over as well. Because it is rural Louisiana and that is what you do. No, no, but quote, he saw the new car pull onto the shoulder and the old car started to do the same. Momentarily, it obstructed the new car and then suddenly disappeared. So the car poofed. Yeah. Okay. All that remained ahead of him was the new car on the shoulder of the highway. Desperate to associate logic to this incredible sight, he immediately assumed an accident had occurred. Indeed, an accident had not occurred, but something more haunting, perhaps as tragic, and certainly more mysterious had. What was it? Well, no one knows. Oh my god. 
They were missing, all right, but no police on this plane of existence had the power to find them. Oh, Ken. Oh, and he goes on to postulate a little. Oh, does he? What if? What if, Ken? The Earth itself has a super mentality, and it creates as a cosmic joke all these anomalies of life on its surface, just for its amusement, or some other esoteric reason. First of all, Ken needs to switch to decaf. <sighs> okay, so it's published in Strange Magazine. So it was published in Strange Magazine, so it's not reported in any newspapers or any other source. No, I looked. And I think I know the guy that wrote it. <laughs> oh my god, yes, please. Please, God. I hope you do. So Ken Mo is a personality <laughs> okay. in South Louisiana. He is a full-time magician. Yes, Ventriloquist. Yes. Author. Oh, what's he written? A comic book. Oh, fun. About Cajuns. Oh my god. He's also a juggler and a balloon artist. Oh. Well, now I can take him seriously. Balloon artist put it over the top for me. Oh, but he's also a traiteur. Oh, now that's actually some shit. Tell tell the good people what a traiteur it's, it's is. It's a Cajun Witch doctor. folk doctor. Witch doctor. Folk doctor. Witch doctor. But when I was a kid, he would perform as the great Boudini. Like Boudin Houdini? Yeah. I like it. With his... <laughs> With his alligator ventriloquist doll named Coco. Okay, like, no shit, I remember Coco. Coco came to my school when I was, like, at the elementary school out in the sticks where I grew up. Like, not when I transferred to the nice in-town school. Coco was not invited. But Coco did go to the sticks. So, I'm almost 99% positive that this is the same guy. I would believe you. I think that's probably... And I bet Elsie really did tell him about it. It's possible. It's possible. I would still think he probably just made it up. I, no, I think he embellished. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely possible. Like, they pa- we passed this old car, shy, like, out on the road, and it looked like it was old. Old. You know, had him one orange license plates. And that's all. Yeah. But then, from there, like, there was a dude... That told the story. It's very possible. It's very, very possible. But it was just a car with an orange license plate. (laughs) But I would say that with the great Boudini riding it. (laughs) Which, by the way, that is hella clever. Like, I've got to give that to it. I would say its credibility goes down a little bit. So we're we're, we're 0 for 2. We're 0 for 2. Let's go for another one. Well, we have completely compromised our our credibility. (laughs) I need to tell you about a thing that happened one time in Utah. Oh, no. Oh, yes. We are going. We are going to Utah, land of the Osmonds. So this supposedly happened in Medina, Utah, which is actually in southwest Utah. Story does not say that. On a paved road, which is probably Highway 56. And the story that circulated is known as the Highway Space Warp. Great name. And this happens in a Slick Rock Canyon, which is just north of Medina, that bears the name of Gadianton. And it's supposedly named for mysterious Wild West terrorist known as the Gadianton Robbers. But this story occurs years after the incidents involving this Wild West terrorist in May of 1972. There were four co-eds because it's the 70s and everything has to have a car and co-eds. And they were driving back from a rodeo in Pioche to South Utah University in Cedar City. Now, Jana... And we are told that all of the names in this story have been changed to protect the identities of those involved. Oh, this is giving credibility. Yep, yep, yep. So, Jana was driving her dad's 1971 Chevrolet Nova, and Carol was in the passenger seat, and Lisa and Bethany were sitting in the back seat. And it was after 10, 
and the girls crossed the state lines and were trying to make it back to their dorm before the house mother locked the doors for the night. And they spotted the Medina Railroad crossing. And once they crossed it, they were at a fork in the road. And Jana decided to go left. She was hoping that she'd found some shortcut along the canyon road. But five minutes later, they entered Red Rock Canyon. And Jana noticed that they were no longer driving on asphalt. They were on cement, and there was no center line. Weird. But the road abruptly hit a dead end at the edge of a cliff, and the girls turned their car around. They complained that there were no warning signs, and that now they would have to make up the time they'd lost taking this little driveway to the edge of the cliff, and they were going to have. They were probably going to miss their curfew, and they were miffed. Now they'd been driving back the way they came, trying to relocate that fork in the road for. A considerable amount of time longer than they drove toward the edge of the cliff. It was not adding up. Weird. They should have been there by now. Still on the cement roads, no lines. And they began to grow a little bit nervous, but the canyon gradually gave way to open country. The girls gasped. Instead of a moonlit desert, they saw grain fields on the right and a large lake with stands of ponderosa pine on the left. We must have gotten turned around back there, Jana said her gaze darting back and forth. Where the hell are we? And then they spotted a roadhouse with a parking lot and a neon sign. But the sign had a bunch of characters that looked like squiggles and swirls. Ooh. Ooh. And they spotted some guys standing in the parking lot and decided to slow down and ask them how to get back to the highway. Lisa decided she was going to be flirty because she thought that maybe there were some cute boys and they could just, you know, make the most of a bad situation. So she leans out of the window and she's like, hey, I don't know if you wanted to maybe give me directions. And then she immediately screams and says, get out of here. Drive. Why? We don't know. We don't get to know. We're building dramatic tension in this very serious news article. Yeah, definitely. Which is not written like a news article. Anyway. Now the girls drove away at top speed only to discover that they were being followed. Really? Yes. Four queer looking automobiles followed in their wake. They were egg-shaped. Egg-shaped. Vehicles mounted on tricycle wheels. Tripod eggs. Yes. But they did have two large wheels in the front and the smaller wheel in the rear. And a single bright white headlight that shone from the front of each pursuing car in scare quotes they made a strange whirring or buzzing sound as they rolled along they lost their pursuers when they turned into the canyon and as soon as they drove through the canyon they emerged into the desert the road behind them had disappeared into thin air oh my gosh shaking uncontrollably the girls emerged from the car miraculously they were unhurt the chevy took the worst of it with three flat tires numerous dings in the front bumper and a missing hubcap jenna took Eh, they've changed to Jenna now. It's Jana. Jana took one look and clapped both hands on her forehead. Oh, no, no, no. My dad's going to kill me. Lisa announced that the men she'd spoken to were not human. Oh, my God. They stayed in the car until the morning and then walked a couple of miles to Highway 56 and flagged down a Utah Highway Patrol car about an hour later and told their story. This is crazy. Right. And supposedly the patrolman that took their statement was named Vic Lundquist. Okay. And these are the things that he was not able to explain in his report. There were no tire tracks showing where the Chevy had left Highway 56 in Modena. There were tire tracks from the wrecked Chevy extended only 200 yards back into the desert and ended abruptly. 
No one could explain how the Chevy had gotten nearly two miles north of Highway 56 without leaving any physical trace of its passage through the rough desert terrain. Although volunteers searched diligently, no trace of the Chevy's right hubcap was ever found. Oh, no. They left it back in the other universe. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. It's crazy. It is crazy. It's the stupidest story I've ever heard in my life. I think it's an awesome story. I hate this story. So it's it's either one of two things. It is either mm-hmm. girls have gotten a wreck. And like and made up the best story ass. ever. Yeah, I thought that. They were all creative writing majors. One of them was. At least. She's like, just stick to the story, okay? Shut up. I want my name to be Jana. That's the, obnoxious. You're going to be Jenna. And the cars looked like eggs. 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 They looked, looked like, like eggs. eggs. I'm so hungry. I'm so hungry. I wish there was a breakfast place, you guys. Eggs. They look like eggs. Or the story was made up. By a guy with too much time. Or a girl. Right. Well, interestingly, I did find some message boards that are like, hey, I can't find anything about this Vic Lundquist who's cited as the patrolman. Like, and that's supposedly not a pseudonym, right? And, and we looked it up. We did. But this, this website offers the helpful clarification that oh, oh. it's actually Victoria Lundquist. Okay. Who was a patrolman in 1972. Could happen. Which, sure, could have happened. But no, it didn't. It didn't happen. And also, Vic Lundquist was a an early computer programmer. Yeah, I mean, I actually cannot find any reference to the story prior to the 2000s. Anywhere. Books, newspapers, anything. I mean, like, I have no problem believing that you can't find any information on it because it's a ridiculous story. And nothing about it makes sense. But I do have another theory. Uh, for what? <laughs> For the basis of the story. I like the creative writing majors who like accidentally wrecked their dad's car because they were running. Like, what, is, what is your story? Are we going to improve on that? Because I don't think we are. Oh, yeah. Are these Mormons? You mentioned the Gadianton robbers. I did. I did mention that. And they mentioned it in the story. Yes. They say they were Wild West terrorists. Mm-hmm. They also says they were a mysterious sect of assassins, quite similar to the Bruderschweigen of Germany or the Kernaruka of Yugoslavia. Thanks for the clarification. Now I get it. Thanks. It's not. That's not true. This makes me think someone <laughs> in Eastern Europe wrote it. Maybe so. Not sure. Not sure. So the Gadianton robbers are a part of the Mormon faith. Really? Yes. They are kind of the flip side of the Nephites. So we've talked about the Nephites briefly on some of our other episodes. So they kind of are like angels. Uh-huh. They can The Nephites. They can appear and help people. And in the 40s and 50s, they started to have a lot of Mormon folklore about the Nephites as vanishing hitchhikers. Ah, yes, now I remember them. They disappeared from my memory. Just like the car. Did they leave a sweater? They left a hubcap. (laughs) Someone's going to be looking for this. So the Gaddington robbers are kind of the opposite of that from a folklore standpoint. So kind of demons? They're the negative. They're the bad side. So per the LDS... Okay, Latter-day Saints. Church of Latter-day Saints. In the Book of Mormon, a band of robbers founded by a wicked Nephite named Gadianton, their organization uh, the name mm-hmm, was it. based on secrecy and satanic oaths. Oh, God. So according, or Satan, I guess. Yeah. So according to the Book of Mormon, greed motivated these groups of murderers hmm. who arose among the Christ-worshipping Nephites around 50 B.C. They formed a secret Wait, oath. What? Why were there Christ-worshipping things before, before B.C.? Look, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just reading. Okay, I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm not trying to point out logical fallacies in religious texts, but you know. They formed a secret oath-bound society, which eventually became so powerful, it challenged the legitimate government. So to prevent detection and death, 
The leader, Gadianton, took his followers, quote, into the wilderness, where they grew in strength and number. As as things that go into the wilderness are wont to do. Well, they, you know, were, would be constantly drawing other Nephites in from greed and sin uh, and etc. And so they're a gang. Yeah. Yeah. And a gang of robbers and murderers. Oh, got it. And they go to war with the Nephites. Mm. Nephites win. Cool. Of course. But eh. Gadiantons come back. 300 years later, Book of Mormon says, it's not a song, sorry. They did infest the land and so much that the inhabitants thereof began to hide up their treasure in the earth and they became slippery because the Lord had cursed the land that they could not hold them nor retain them again. The gold? Or the people. Oh. So in the early days of the Mormon church, when they were settling in Utah. Right, with their hand carts. They began to kind of have, you know, small acts that the founders blamed on satanic spirits of the Gadianton robbers. Missing tools, irons disappearing, food being ruined. So there was not like one dude in the camp that they were like. Oh no, this is very common. Yeah, this is very common folklore. And they'd have, like, sawmills running at night by themselves. So th- are these just Mormon gremlins? They kind of are. Okay. They're Mormon demons. They're Mormon demons. Okay. The, the same, this you, seems no, very You can find key. the same things in Europe at the same time. I know, but it just seems like really low-key demon activity. Like, oh, No, they would do other things. They would possess people okay, and stuff so like that. Okay, so they were into the bigger phenomena as well they were not limited to moving your tools so like in other areas such as in the red river area like where i'm from the red river canyon you just talked about oh got it and the gadianton canyon got it they would see them riding in on phantom horses okay that's really cool and raiding parties people saw them as they rode past their dark shapes pounding past them in the darkness little boys that were being bad were threatened with being stolen or kidnapped by the gadianton robbers from their beds at night. Whenever it was thought that wickedness was being built up somewhere, it was the fault of the Gadiantans who were calling up their secret O's and combinations from the earth where they had been hidden because they were slippery. I, I can respect this ghost riders in the sky stuff. I got it. I and got so, it. And this is was a very, like I said, kind of common folklore at the time, but it also was part of things that the preachers would preach about. Brigham Young said, Oh, Brigham Young you know said many things. There are scores of evil spirits here, spirits of the old Gadianton robbers, some of whom inhabited these mountains and used to go into the south and afflict the Nephites. There are millions of these spirits in the mountains, and they are ready to make us covetous if they can. They are ready to lead astray every man and woman that wishes to be a Latter-day Saint. And that's from 1861. So the folktales began at the pulpit and, as all folklore does, taken by the people changed mm-hmm. mutated used to explain things such as missing irons sawmills turning on by themselves and or turned into cautionary tales yeah to keep and, kids in line. and often they were used um to explain like a settlement that failed because mm. you know they were expanding into this really rough territory no and they really were coming out there with hand cards oh yeah yeah and the conditions of the mormon migration are fascinating and kind of unbelievable and you, you know, may say what's a hand cart you know how you play Oregon Trail and you get a big nice wagon with oxen? They had a hand cart. You were the oxen. You were the o- wheelbarrow. It was basically a wheelbarrow. So, you know, Brigham Young wanted to make it more self-sufficient. And so they would go out and like try to plant cotton in the desert and stuff like Fine. that. And obviously it would fail. And when these settlements would fail, they would just blame it on the Gadianton robbers and these evil spirits. Handy. 
Like the pilgrims blamed the Native Americans and then killed them. Wait, what? <laughs> they did mention the story that they were like these wild west robbers. And these stories were definitely prevalent at that time. That's probably what they're kind of referencing. Near the town of Modena. Modena. Yeah. Like where the eggs were. Yes. This is all in that area. There was an area that was like a Union Pacific flag stop. And it was reported by freighters going to the mining camps in Nevada, where they were hauling to Pinoche. Oh, that's where the rodeo was. That freighters went through a rocky gorge there, and that was said to be haunted by the terrorist brotherhood of the Gadianton robbers. Huge rocks were supposed to have tumbled down right in front of them, a few crushing others on the trail. The most important were the ways in which that rocky cliffs on either side of them would close in around them, keeping some trapped forever in the gorge to die of the heat and of starvation. Many others narrowly escaped these cliff rocks as they attempted to close in around them, watching for the supernatural Gadiantans who were supposed to swoop down upon them when the rocks closed and kill and rob those whom they entrapped. So where are the cars? Phantom horses. Uh, cooler. No, so that is an important point. So no cars. So while tales of, ne- of like the three Nephites, like these kind of angel-like beings that will appear to help people, help guide people along, have persisted, we still hear these stories in Mormon folklore now. The stories of the Gadianton robbers have really fallen off. Right, so do you think this is some dude just trying to bring it back? It kind of, I think it's related to it. You know, I think this is obviously... Well, because of Pinoche and Medina and... And the Gadianton Canyon. Canyon and, yeah, I mean... And rocks closing in around them. They're being trapped in an area. They barely escape. These supernatural, non-human beings are trying to capture them. I think that it's not hard to postulate that this is the at least origin of that story. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's very interesting. I don't think it's a parallel universe story. And I don't think it's fact. I think it's an invention. I think it's a folktale. I think that it began as a story and has become an urban legend as we have taken this story on, changed it a little bit, interpreted it in different ways. Mm-hmm. Well, I have to say your research into the Gadiant and Roberts makes me respect that story a bit more. I really want to research Mormon folklore. <laughs> yeah, it's going to have to be like a 10 part episode. So I have one that's interesting. Yes. So when was the idea of a parallel universe like created like when did that happen like the 50s 50 1950s though right what we think of it as now yeah before they were talking about are there other planets (laughs) okay cool so we're on the same page to think that this happened before the advent of the idea of parallel universes what done oh the frankfurt stranger which is my favorite of these like classic parallel universe stories yeah this is the story of a strange man who was found wandering in the german village of frankfurt and de oder in the district of Oba. well look at that look at that in 1851 now this man claimed that his name was jafar voren and this is from an account that was published in 1852 oh so we got some real sources here yes this is not something invented a few years ago correct we find it attested in the correspondence of Berlin. At the end of 1850, a stranger was picked up in a small village of the district of Laba near Frankfurt on the Oder. Whither he had wandered, no one could tell whence. He spoke German imperfectly and had all the marks of Caucasian origin. On being questioned by the burgomaster in Frankfurt, the stranger said his name was Joffar Vorin and that he came from a country called Laxaria situated on the portion of what he called Sacria. He understood, it is affirmed, none of the European languages, except, we much suppose, the broken German, but reads and writes what he calls Laxarian and Abramian tongues. 
The latter he declares to be the written language of the clerical order of Laxaria, and the other a common language of his people. He says that his religion is Christian, in form and doctrine, and that it is called Ispatian. Laxaria he represents to be many hundred miles from Europe, separated by vast oceans from it. His purpose in coming to Europe, he alleges, was to seek his long-lost brother. But he suffered shipwreck on the voyage, where he does not know, nor can he trace his route on shore or any map or globe. He claims for his unknown race a considerable share of geographical knowledge. The five great compartments of the earth he calls Sakira, Alfar, Aslar, Oslar, and Uplar. The sages of Frankfurt von Oder, after much examination of the tale and its bearer, believed it. However, Joffar Vorin was dispatched to Berlin and there became the subject of much scientific and curious gossip in the Prussian capital. And this was also published in 1853 and in the book An Ethnological Wonder, The New Man at Frankfurt, from the Literary World. Whether a man was a common impostor and tricked the village authorities, or whether these worthies began their usual way to construct history for him out of the depths of their moral consciousness, is uncertain. At all events, they looked at him as a great prize and carried him off to Frankfurt. On being questioned by the burgomaster of that enlightened city, the stranger said his name was Jafar Vorin, and he came from Laxaria. Okay, so for clarification, Laxaria does not exist. Wait, what? Yeah. I know I'm bad at geography. You are. You're awful at geography. I love you anyway, and you're very handsome. Well, thank you. It's my Luxarian genes. I believe it. And he said that he was from the region of Sacria. Yeah, this is all crazy. I mean, this must be like another world or a parallel universe that he's from. Or we're playing telephone in different languages, and that's always fun. Most likely the case. So he spoke not that great German, <laughs> technical term, and could understand no other European languages at all. He spoke the third most German. <laughs> he did speak the third most German. And we have, you know, the Burgomaster, who is there to question him, supposedly in pretty masterful German. And we have the story then being repeated to, I'm supposing, English news outlets. And I did find the story written up at the time in The Guardian and The Times-Picayune and The Sydney Herald. So London, Sydney, and New Orleans. Yes. <laughs> of course. So what happened to him? Well, he was studied. And then we kind of fall, he falls off the earth. But not literally. No, no, not like David Bowie fell to earth. No, I did read one blog on the esoterics blog, which is really good, where he postulates that he's from a parallel universe where the Ottoman Empire never fell. Interesting. Which I like. Sounds like a good movie. But the Ottoman Empire was kind of a thing until 1878. So, so it still existed. I kind of, yeah, I think that he's smarter than that. And some people say he might have been from India. I don't find any credence to that. Now, I did look into it extensively. The place they're citing is called Laxaria, which is, but it's spelled without the X. It's like a CK. But we could pretty much ignore any spellings. Right. The because spelling. he did not write in the Phoenician alphabet, presumably. Yes. And so... The spelling is, is not the reason I dismiss it. The idea that he would have had any German seems very strange, had mm -hmm, he come from India, mm -hmm. for that to be his other language. Also, the idea that he looked Caucasian, had he been from this region, seems very unlikely to me. Not impossible, but unlikely, because this is very rural. Like today on a census, this town has like 397 households, so it's small. Very small. And 
it's very remote. That also makes it seem unlikely to me that he would have had two written languages and three that we know of spoken languages. I don't find that one to be credible. I do find it interesting, but it doesn't fit with what we know of the story. It's a good name. They did a good job on that. (laughs) I started researching some of the key phrases, the things that are always repeated. And the name Jafar Voren. Always, always repeated. Right, that is his name, without a doubt. And sometimes it's Joseph, but that is just white people like the name Joseph better than Jafar. I promise. Sure. Okay, things white people like. (laughs) The name Joseph. (laughs) Okay, so I was looking... And I found that Zophar, with a Z, which think about a J and a Z in German dialect, first of all, is a very common Hebrew name. Hebrew. Hebrew. Okay. And interestingly, his last name, Voren, is also most likely of Jewish origin. Of course, it is spelled D-V-O-R-I-N. But again, we can ignore any spellings. spellings. Yes. And it's most commonly associated with Ashkenazi Jews. And those are people of Jewish origin from kind of Eastern Europe. Kind of. They were kicked out of Spain and they went there. I'm very comfortable supposing that if this fellow was an Ashkenazi, Eastern European area Jew, and he met a bunch of Germans who were obviously Christians, he may have been like, yeah, me too, bro. I mean, there are obviously things that are similar. Right. But you can't say that they would confuse it because they know what Judaism is. In the 1800s, yes. So it would be it would be him like just saying yeah yeah. yeah." My other thought is that if he looked very very Caucasian too, they may have just assumed that he was Christian. Yeah, I mean possible. I mean this is 1850s; they're not exactly combating stereotypes. But I like the idea that he is an Ashkenazi Jew. Okay, but where is he coming from? He's talking about these places. This gets this gets a little dicey, but I have researched it, and my gut feeling is Bosnia Herzegovina. Why is that? Okay, several reasons. Because there was a proliferation of German language in the Serbia-Bosnia region at the time. So he would spoke some broken German. That makes sense. You can get the German there without upsetting history. There's also a tie to Persia. Okay. Which most people have actually Caucasian descent. Right. And so the Ashkenazi speak a form of Yiddish, which is very similar to a group of Iranian-speaking people who organized into tribes called Saka in Old Persian. That sounds familiar. Saka. Sakriya. Hmm. And I kind of think that maybe there's something there, and this is kind of the nexus of, like, Persia and that region where German would have been spoken, of Persia and Eastern Europe. This is kind of that overlay. And also, if he were Serbian or... Bosnian, he would have looked very Caucasian because that's kind of literally where the Caucasus Mountains yeah. are. <laughs> now, my other theory is more loose, and I'm not like I want to read seven books on it and get it all right. But in my research today, I came across the briefly held moment in time that was Kazaria or Kazaria. Okay. Laxaria, Kazaria, which would have been Persia region. That area. And that is this band of nomadic Turkic people who organized out of Turkic tribes. And at one point, and this is where I'm like not sure if I am, I want better sourcing on this because I'm afraid that I'm giving into some kind of weird conspiracy theory. But 
bear with me. A lot of the Khazarians did convert to Judaism. Okay. And so, and then there's some interest in the Ashkenazi reviving that, like in their diaspora from Spain. And some people say it's an anti-Semitic idea. So I'm sorry if that's true. But like the idea is that they're not Hebrew. Right. You know, and that's yeah. like the thing. It's like a dispersion on them. But that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm just like, there's this interesting very old name for this region, Kazaria, that might have been used colloquially by the Jewish population to describe their homeland. So interesting kind of etymological linguistic ideas that may tie this character to that region. Right. And it may just be a game of telephone gone very awry. And I don't think that he's from an alternate timeline or a universe. I think Ruining he's from everything. Bosnia. I'm sorry. <laughs> so that's an interesting case because it's it's not something that's obviously been invented in the last 30, 40 years. It's not it's not copy pasta. Right, which everything other, else is. Yeah, except the the Gadiantons, that's real folklore. Well, of course. But from even the fifties on, it's it's the equivalent of that. Right. So this is my favorite. I like him because he was actually a person out of place. I love it because it's most likely related to a misinterpretation. Yeah, it's a it, glitch. It's and maybe it's all a glitch in the matrix. Oh, it's a possibility. Fuck you, fuck you. You, know? Okay. you know, I mean, even Neil deGrasse Tyson thinks we're all living a hologram. But anyway, ah, don't start that. Don't start. This is all a simulation, or I will just quit. Like I swear to God, I will go sit in a corner for the rest of my life. But that that can be just kind of a glitch and just you know just misinterpretation of things definitely ties us back to the idea of the Mandela effect. Oh wait, did we do it? We came back. Of course. We I did. thought we were gone forever. <laughs> we always do. Even if you don't think we will, we do. We brought it back. I love when people will comment and be like, by the end of the episode, I forgot about the beginning and then you brought it back and I can't believe what happened. <laughs> that is my favorite comment string of all time. So we can look at the idea of the Mandela effect. Whenever we feel like we remember something and we are so damn sure that we are right. And let's skip over the, the obvious confirmation bias. That is fairly obvious, yes. Which is, is obviously part of it. We like we're, think we're right. Therefore, we assume we're right. We assume we're right. <laughs> Which is the best. Like, I love that somebody in psychology was like, you know what? Someone needs to describe this because it happens all the time. Like, I want to be the person that like wrote it down for the first time. But this all looks at memory. Right. And sometimes we like to think that our memory is like a computer. Right. We can pull up facts. We can pull up instances and remember them just wrote i I think that but that's not how memory works it's terrible unfortunately i'm gonna fire my memory go ahead see how that works for you i don't remember what we were talking about good so we can have these alterations in memory and that's 100 percent normal you know they can be just subtle little things you forgot oh i forgot they were there at the party oh i forgot i said that stupid thing Mm. oh i forgot that i made out with that person etc what what nothing okay (laughs) Good thing I fired my memory. Yeah, fire that part too. But wait, wait, this is a perfect thing. When my mom or like my grandma are talking about stories that they remember about cute kids, they'll be like, was it my 27-year-old grandson or was it my three-year-old granddaughter who did that adorable thing? Yeah, exactly. Right? They remember the thing very specifically, but the parts become interchangeable and it's not just old age. I do it too. I'm like, was it Remy or dad who did that thing? So we have these two types of memory. We have a verbatim memory. Mm, that's exactly word for word. Right, just remembering an exact event. And then we have just memory. 
I am a fan of the gist memory. That's where you kind of remember the gist of the it. The gist of The things. cute thing. Right. The idea of it without the strong details. And so that lends really well with these distortions in memory we can have. And these can be subtle little alterations to bizarre fabrications. And these are called confabulations. That rhymed. I try. You sound like a cat in a hat. So with these like disturbances of memory, you can have production of these fabricated, distorted, or misinterpreted memories without the conscious intention to deceive. Okay, so this is why eyewitness, eyewitness testimony is 100% accurate 100% of the time. Exactly. Okay. So confabulations associated with a lot of characteristics. They can typically be verbal statements, so you'll say it. It's mm-hmm. when you're recalling something and you're kind of talking about it. They can include autobiographical and non-personal information, such as historical facts. Never happened to me. Fairy tales or other aspects of semantic memory. So is that like when Brian Williams remembered being under fire in the helicopter? Now you're going to have to ask him about that. Okay. (laughs) I will. Let's call him. But often the patient is unaware of the account's distortions or inappropriateness, but is not really concerned with the errors. So they're not like trying to give you the most accurate account possible. They're just talking about what they remember. Well, they can even be trying. But when you're like, that's not right. You're like, no, no, no. I think so. I think that's right. <laughs> but, <laughs> that's there is, funny. but there is no hidden motivation behind it. So it's, it's unconscious. You know, it is not like it's not meant to deceive. So it's not lying. It's not lying. That's, yes, exactly. It's not lying. It is legitimate misremembering. It's like, I'm going to my memory bank, I'm opening this file, and it clearly says this. And you know, Even when corrected, you're like, no, really, I've got the data right here. Yeah. So you can have spontaneous confabulations. And this is usually seen in people with the neurological problems. Say something like Alzheimer's. Something called uh, Wernicke-Korsakoff syndrome, mm-hmm. which is often seen in alcoholics with thiamine deficiency. But these are often bizarre, preoccupying confabulations where there's this huge chunk of memory loss and they're like, yeah, I was a secret agent. (laughs) Right. Like my grandmother called my mom once. My grandmother had Alzheimer's. She actually had a brain tumor. Yeah. Not Alzheimer's. (laughs) No. But we thought it was Alzheimer's at the time because we hadn't seen this yet. She calls her one night and she's like, Sarah and Wayne came and took me and tried to put me in the home. Yeah. And my mom's like, uh, Belle, <laughs> this is Sarah. Yeah. You've called me. And right, or my friend's, uh, my friend's mom with Alzheimer's, she would, was calling all the family members, telling her that her son, who was the one that's kind of taking care of her, you know, was trying to steal all her money. Yeah, my grandmother did that too, actually. Yeah, well, it's a but, common yeah. thing. You know, they're kind of persecutory, um, and, you know. My grandmother also went into a panic because she was afraid that they were going to take her guns away, at which point I said, Mom, what the hell, you haven't taken her guns away. <laughs> Maybe we should do that. Maybe she's right. But you can also have provoked confabulations. So this can be just in a neuronormative person that is kind of like a normal response to a faulty memory, which we all have. They can be fleeting. And you can see this really quickly after an event occurs. Some studies showing even a week after. So what would prompt this? So asking a question or trying to talk about something. So like... Did you see a man in a blue shirt fleeing the scene? Yeah. You're like, oh, maybe so. I think so. Yeah. Okay. So this makes sense to me. So so leading questions definitely could create this sort of. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Sort of. So if you're like, did you think there was something weird about her? 
or like that or like did you notice she had a weird accent yeah more like that yeah. so specific yeah. a specific not something weird about her is too broad to i mean really... it might work it might work but if you get a specific question that'll work better you have to remember that our memory is super faulty we're not computers stop telling me that i'm sorry and memory imperfections can be divided into seven categories, as some researchers call sins. Oh, good. Right? Um, so you have different types of forgetting, like transience, just absent-mindedness, or like blocking. Or you can have like persistence, such as in like a PTSD traumatic event mm. case. Or you can have like memory distortions. And so these are the ones that really play into this. So you can have like misattribution, where retrieved information is kind of assigned to the wrong s- source such as mistaking a previously imagined event for a real one. You can have suggestibility, kind of like you were saying, which is the incorporation of inaccurate information from external sources. Or you can have our good old friend bias, where you're distorting influences of present knowledge, beliefs, and feelings on recollection of previous experiences. Okay. So these misattribution errors can also be called false recognition. So the false recognition is typically inferred from old responses to novel items that are conceptually or perceptually related to previously studied items. So that's like when something is similar, you misinterpret it in relation to older experiences. I think I understand what you're talking about, but I I really think I need an example. Okay. So here is a study. Uh, Good. Yes. That's good. That's good. So here's an experiment. You take a subject and you give them a list of words. Here's an example. Let's do it. You want to do the study? Yes, yes, okay. please. By all means, make me feel like a college sophomore. Okay, I'm going to say a list of words. Mm-hmm. Candy, sour, sugar, bitter, good, taste, tooth, mouth. Now, did I say in that list the word saw? No. Did I say sweet? No. You're right, because you're paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but with that, like, so... Using those list of words, people will say that you used a related word, such as sweet, like all those words. I had to think about sweet more. Yeah, because it's related to that word. And so all of those items converge on a theme word. And you get this extremely high level of false recognition in one study up to 80% to the theme word across a variety of word associate lists. So you quickly were like, saw now, sweet. And you had to think about it for like more than five seconds. Really? Yeah. Well, I wanted to be right. Exactly. So you can use these lure items that match semantic or perceptual features of this representation that are more likely to be falsely recognized. I'm understanding advertising now. It's like smart TV, smartphone, smart. You know, like you use that that word of recognition, smart, right? right? Like a smartphone. It's like a smart car. It's like a smart TV. It's like a smart air conditioner. It's like a smart home security like, oh, system. Oh, it's as good as my iPhone. Right. You're related. Fuck you, advertising. <laughs> because this is related to something called fuzzy trace theory that posits those two types of memory, the verbatim and gist, and you have this dual processing going on where you can retrieve either, but in retrieving a gist trace of memory, which is a non-recollective retrieval, so you're not recollecting a specific event. You're kind of thinking of that idea associated with it. You can be much more easily influenced because true memories are more stable than false ones. But these false memories are supported by your gist processing. Say you go to the supermarket. Okay. And you lose your list and you kind of remember the things you need. 
and you're going through the store and you're on an aisle and suddenly everything on the aisle looks like something you need. Like you're like, oh God, was it sugar? Was it flour? It all looks the same. Like you, you know, like it becomes more difficult. I think that's just how you shop. When you're in the (laughs) presence of the similar items. Yes. Because you have that just like, I need something for baking. Right. What was it? Was it sugar or flour or was it brown sugar or powdered sugar? Oh God, I'm done. I have no idea. Yes. Buy it all. (laughs) And so since, since just processing and just memory is much more fluid of an idea, it can support a false memory much more easily. It was definitely flour. And so when you look at these things with the Mandela effect, you're using your just processing. You're not recalling a specific event when you're thinking about the Bernstein Bears or the Bernstein Bears. You are using that general, like, kind of, maybe, maybe that's what it was. Well, I mean, think about it. Our three-year-old knows what, when we pass McDonald's, she's like, McDonald's. We pass Domino's. She's like, pizza. You know, like, she has brand recognition and she can't read. So she definitely doesn't know how Domino's is spelled on that sign, but you have a way you think it is in your head already before you're ever even reading it. Like the brand name stuff is very easy for me to like. Yeah, but that's kind of a different concept because that's just just symbol recognition. Right. So I think that those can be easily dismissed as like whatever. Well, and a lot of this is logos. Yeah. And you know the general symbol. But like one is like if the Ford logo has like a little curly Q on it. It totally does. I don't know. Like it's ridiculous. It does. But like people are like, that was never there. No, it's it's always been there. Did you ever really, 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 unless you like have a Ford, like look at the Ford logo that closely. And a lot of times how this, these stories are presented is they show you a picture of the wrong one, like a Photoshopped image. Mm -hmm. And they say, do you remember this? You're wrong. You're wrong. Gotcha. Gotcha yeah. journalism. Yeah, exactly. And it's kind of this confirmation bias. Like you go, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. I Close remember enough. That. And then they show you the real one. You're like, oh, no, that's definitely Fruit Loops, F-R-O-O, because the O's are Fruit Loops. Yeah, and so you have a little confirmation bias there. You have some gist processing. And it's and also trickery on the part of the people who are presenting. It's it. how it's presented. Yeah, it's how like it's presented. You're, you're tricked into believing that you remember it the wrong way. Yeah, and so that is called the misinformation effect. So if someone tells you that like the Ford logo was different, there's this natural tendency to believe them if you've never looked closely at it before. And then that effect is even doubled when they show you the wrong picture, quote, mm-hmm. or is it a parallel universe, before the right one. Okay. So I'm seeing like... Absolutely no broader implications or cultural relevance to how these like easily memed kind of dastardly mnemonic tricks can make us believe that we remember things that we don't remember and, you know, see things that have never happened before as part of the fabric of our reality. I I see nothing. Are you sure? Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not at all. This is terrifying. You know, we like to think as humans that our memory can be infallible. And we also like to think that we're right. And that if there is something that confirms our truth, or what they tell us is our truth, then it must be right. So in a world where we're bombarded with so much information from so many sources, and where we can so easily encounter bias and have our own opinions affirmed and reconfirmed it's incredibly important 
to remember that there is an objective reality and that we're responsible for finding it and remembering it. And that's not just a story. It's not just a story. Society 13 Podcast Network. Redefining Podcasts. Society-13.com. I like to listen. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.